In today's world, technology is everywhere. From the entertainment we consume, to the content we create, and the data that we distribute. Here at The Edge, we explore how the discoveries of today and the innovations of tomorrow shape and evolve the way we go about our everyday lives. Let's dream a world where your imagination is your only limitation. Let's open the curtain, peer into the future, and see what's waiting for us. Are you ready? Welcome, everybody, to The Edge, a TMG Core production. I'm Drew Knoll. And I'm Brad Furnish. And today we're in for a treat. We actually have two guests, so to speak, but both are members of the Edge and TMG Core fam. Mr. Hugh Karspecken, co-founder and CSO of Dart Points, and William Hadley, co-founder and CSO of TMG Core. Uh, Hugh has over 23 years of cross-industry technology experience from data networking to fiber optics to wireless cellular infrastructure. He spent his early career engineering and deploying metro fiber access and cellular networks with GTE while later helping to start and grow several successful startups in Silicon Valley, such as ONI Systems, Fiber Tower, and Wave to Wave. In these roles, Hugh helped bridge the gap between the state of technology and its implementation in order to drive the technology's adoption in the market. After leaving Silicon Valley, Hugh held a senior leadership role at Fujitsu uh, Network Communications, launching and growing Fujitsu's multi-technology solutions organization with regards to fiber, wireless, cellular, and data center infrastructure. Uh, Hugh, it's a pleasure to have you on today, and, uh, and William as well. Thank you for having us. Awesome. Uh, so, Hugh, one of the things that we ask all of our guests on the show uh, as a bit of an icebreaker is if you could briefly describe uh, probably the most unexpected event in your career, whether that is a positive event or a, a more what we would call a, a character building moment. And it doesn't have to be super in-depth, just a little nugget to kind of kick us off today. Uh, having to sign a five-year contract with my wife not to start up a company while we were having kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's uh, that's an interesting. I've not, you know, uh, we've we've done a handful of episodes up to this point, and you know, most of it's like oh, I was going down this path, and this thing in my life happened, and it turned me this way to this industry. I I can say without any doubt, we've never had that. Um, could could you uh, not to dig into the personal piece of it, but I'm assuming that you had started many startups and, and your wife was kind of tired of it or or what what if you could just add a scotch of color before we jump off absolutely <laughs> so so i i um uh, so I met her out in San Fran um and I was coming off of some of my latest uh endeavors um and, um, she was not, I mean, she enjoyed that I was an entrepreneur and, and did some of those fun and exciting things as everyone did out in, in out in the Valley. Um, but I don't think she fully appreciated what goes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I was getting the itch again to start up another company, uh, we were having kids and kids is a full-time job. Um, and actually it was quite wise of her because frankly, how do you, how do you, 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 you can't, you can't have children and have another child on the other side. And that other child is basically sucking every penny out of your pocket and every moment out of your day. Um, so it ended up being uh, the wise, kind of the wise decision. Actually, that was the Fujitsu time. Um, so, and, and what was interesting was that Fujitsu was my vendor at one of my other companies. So it was very awkward actually being an executive at Fujitsu and also being on the board of one of their largest customers. So it kind of created an unusual dynamic that um, 
uh, was kind of was interesting and and um, kind of made it fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, that 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 definitely makes sense when you when you put it that way. And and that, I would I would say uh, your wife was very very wise in uh, <laughs> in that request. Um, so I, just for everybody that's listening and watching, just to give a little uh, color. Normally we we don't have more than than one guest uh, on the show at, at a time. Uh, but the reason that we brought uh, and asked William to come on as well is uh, I think you know William and Hugh, you guys have a a bit of a similar mind when it comes to connectivity and edge and those kinds of things. And so, you know, when we were talking about having a discussion around uh, edge and, and what edge is and networking and compute and, you know, and, and our listeners will know, we, we look at everything that, you know, when we're talking to people through that lens of what edge is, where edge is going, how compute is becoming more mobile and, uh, agile in its deployment and utilization, you know, it, it just made sense for us to both, you know, have, have, have Hugh and, and William, you both on at the same time. And uh, as you both have a really, uh, a, a very solid foundational background in, in connectivity and network in general, but, uh, you know, I, I know for a fact from, you know, conversations that we've all had that, that you guys have a real passion um, for edge and, and what edge enables, not just from a compute standpoint, but, you know, from some of the conversations we've had, there's a whole social aspect, you know, and, and, and societal beneficence that, that that type of computing provides that, that I know you guys are passionate about. So just to kind of give that context to our listeners, why, you know, why, uh, you know, why William is, is on, on with us, it, it, that's, that's why. Um, so that all being said, um, I, I would love to, and, and I really feel like this conversation, and I mean this in the best way, it's just going to be Brad and I just pushing the snowball down the hill, and then you guys are going to roll with it. Um, and because you guys are extremely intelligent and, and you know, and, and, and intuitive when it comes to this stuff. So I'm going to push the snowball down the hill, um, and we'll just see where we roll, um, pun completely intended, is... Uh, when we talk to a lot of other people, you know, we ask, you know, for them, what does edge mean, right? And we talk to standard colo providers and they have their definition of what edge is. And we talk to game developers and they have their perspectives and all of those things. For you guys uh, and, and your background, your experience and, and your insight, what does the edge uh, mean? And, and when someone says, let's talk about the edge or trends in the edge, what do you hear? Because I think we all hear something very different. And I'm very curious as to what you guys uh, hear and what that means to you. Do you want me to start? You, 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 start? No, you, you go first here. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so so uh, the edge has been around for decades. Um, it's not a new term. It, well, we're using it as a new term. Uh, my definition of edge is very simple. It's when the, the, the request for the action and the delivery upon that action uh, occurs at the same location. Um, and so the edge, um, can occur in tier one markets. It can, it, it can occur out, um, at, um, uh, tier three markets, if you will. Um, but that is, uh, that's the focus. Um, you know, it, it, it's had many different flavors, uh, telecom access back in the late nineties. Um, you know, a lot of people throw around 5g, um, uh, and there's obviously there are some misnomers around that as well. Um, but that's my definition of edge. Um, and, and what we do is we facilitate all those pieces that are being acted upon and requested upon um, being housed in the same location. 
it, it's a good point, Hugh. Um, my definition, as I, I think about our relationship, you going back to 2014 and 2015, where part of a group of companies that were building telecom networks in tier two, tier three markets. And as the bandwidth would increase, the latency would decrease and it was getting that connectivity closer to the end user. And in my background, working with utilities and municipalities, it's a matter for public safety to have real-time communications and doing it in a way that brings not only connectivity closer to the end user, but doing it in a meaningful way that is literally being touched upon right where the consumer is using with all the intelligence that you would have at a larger data center. Gotcha. And so that's a, that's a solid segue into, you know, we, we all have a background in data center in some capacity. Uh, you know, Brad and I come out of the more traditional brick and mortar, big, you know, thousand, hundred thousands of square feet data center. Um, there's been a lot in the, in the news and in, in industry development about, edge data centers and there's lots of developments in terms of what that looks like, what that means, how that's deployed. Um, and so I know, you know, in the dart points as a specialty in that, um, but what do you guys think is the next, tr- I mean, if we had a crystal ball or, or even things that you're seeing now, where is, where is the, the data center going in terms of, the edge. Well, I can tell you where it's not going to go. Um, uh, there are a lot of people who are are. Um, so f- first, what's interesting is um, the edge data centers. It's it's not about the box. Um, so there are people just saying, "Man, I'm just going to place a box out there, and that will solve the problem." No, it's that's not the case. Um, our relationship actually is proved. Um, because if we were talking about just a box, okay, then I would have had to have completely redesigned that box in order to accommodate your product, okay? Um, things that are very interesting here is um, uh, these types of data centers uh, do need to be focused on what forms of connectivity they've got. Um, they need to be very, uh, unlike a tier one data center, they need to be very aware of the access to the eyeballs um, that, they, um, that they can present to, to the general ecosystem that's going to be using that facility. In a tier one market, it's all hub and spoke, okay? So you're, you're getting requests from local, you're getting requests from a couple hundred miles away, even further in some cases. Um, when you really take a look at the traditional six locations of the internet within within our country, um, but now as you, it's not that these sites. Um, uh, when people say edge data centers, again, uh, you can take a look at some folks that really went after the tier two market and they kind of replicated the tier one data center market into the tier two market um, uh, to just to kind of push that envelope further. Um, there are some people that advocated taking this all the way to the base of towers. The problem is that's not how the networks work. So obviously they retracted off of that. Um, not that the networks won't work that way. It's just right now that's not how the cellular carriers are thinking. And mo- most importantly, they don't know how to monetize that yet. So um, the, the, the data centers, um, as we look at them, are ecosystems. 
So um, we build a box around an edge marketplace. Um, we've got people in these sites that are actually benefiting from each other within the site um, and trying to create a, a strong big business case. If you've just got people lined up and they're just using it because it's, it's, it's bricks and mortar and it can it keep the rain off your gear, um, th that's not really providing a huge value um, because we talk about latency, we talk about uh, the performance, we talk about cost reductions. Um, but the thing that we focus on the most is actual revenue generation. Um, the people that are starting to use this are trying to create revenue opportunities very in, in very small locations, much like kind of that, that age-old surface area uh, analogy where you can have a big bubble and that's got a surface area. But if you fill up that bubble with a whole bunch of smaller bubbles, your, 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 your surface area just became exponential. Um, and people are recognizing that if they can differentiate and identify revenue opportunities in much smaller locales, their ability to, to, to generate more revenue goes uh, significantly up instead of having a backhaul from somewhere else. You know, Hugh, that's, you know, when to, to, uh, to take that from what you just said, I, you know, I think about the edge and I can break it down into four unique areas. The first one off that is IoT. You know, really, what is IoT? You're dealing with, you know, an intelligent transportation system. You're dealing with public safety, surveillance. You're dealing with small cells, LED streetlights. You're thinking about all of the stuff that needs to be connected to IoT of things that are out there. The second is, is that as bandwidth is increasing across the United States and around the world, the content's got to be closer to the end user. So the second area is, I think, the content delivery networks. The third is points of presence in internet exchanges. You know, traffic going from these smaller cities that are on the outside of bigger cities or the traffic's being bounced all over the country. So now all of a sudden the edge is a way to create points of presence in internet exchanges that are closer to the users versus the internet exchanges of today, which is built on a more hyperscale data center model where the backbone of the internet was. But then the fourth is most important, it's AI and machine learning. So we're seeing more stuff out there that's smart. The devices that are basically taking learned data and inferring or doing inference with each other. But that device has to be somewhere close to the edge, back to some sort of high capacity compute. And right there, whether it be IoT or an IX or even AI machine learning, air-cooled systems just cannot cool that equipment. It has to go into a immersive world, a world where an auto, per se, is that high-density compute that's going to house these chips that have to go out into the field onto the edge. But the greatest quandary is, is how do you monetize all this? In a traditional air-cooled world, it's going to be impossible to do. Data centers are expensive. Modular data centers are expensive. But in a world with auto, now not only do we get the density we need for the edge, but we're doing it at a price point that's 50%, if not more, reduction in capex than air cooled system. But you got a partner like us at TMD with dark points that knows how to monetize the network to make the edge a reality from an AI machine learning top CDN IoT perspective that otherwise in today's world it's going to be next to impossible just to facilitate, let alone monetize. So I want to jump in here real quick and, you know, 
talk about the adoption of edge. You know, we covered the definitions, you know, we talked about, you know, William just covered some of the different use cases for it. But I'm curious, you know, we we know that people have developed certain strategies around tier one markets and Hugh, you mentioned of how they tried to copy those in tier two and then, you know, even some tier threes, but you also on some of the definitions, it's getting to the remote places, you know, offshore, not even in a in a tier two or tier three city or you know, mining in different places in North Dakota and some of those things. So my question is really more around where are we, you know, from a, a collective whole as a society on the adoption of edge? Are we seeing the, are we just now getting to the tier two markets, the tier three markets with a handful of people pushing out there? Or are we still pretty early on? I know Hugh, you said it's, it's been around for, for quite a few years and it's just a new buzz term that's popped up in the last few. So you know, I'm curious as, you know, what you guys are seeing as the adoption rate and kind of where we're sitting in kind of the path moving forward from there. Well, the adoption rate is, uh, well, um, uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, COVID-19 had a significant, added a significant accelerant to that. Um, that was a compelling event that um, uh, woke a lot of people up when the, the network shifted from commercial real estate to residential real estate um, and, and created some issues. Uh, but prior to that, though, um, th there's always been the need. Um, uh, the, the U.S. has, has you know, our, our, I won't wax philosophical on this for too long, but our, the U.S. was so ahead in telecommunications 100 years ago um, that, that that advance has kept us kind of behind. For quite some time, when you when you drop literally trillions of dollars worth of copper into the ground today's value, that is, um, it really does slow down how people adopt other types of technology. And so, um, I mean, to the point that you know DSL, ADSL, those things. I mean, they're just trying to elongate that, that life of that copper plant. Um, and where some countries didn't have that issue, so they were able to go in very quickly and, and, and in some cases just eradicate ent entire neighborhoods because they're going to put something there that will help their telecommunications network. Um, what we're seeing now, though, is that um, – so one of my companies um, uh, built out all the cellular backhaul for, uh, at the time, transitioning from 2G to 3G. Um, and, and, and in my background, actually, I was de deploying some of the earlier – uh, cellular, uh, CDPD, uh, cellular data packet, cellular digital packet data. I don't, know, I don't know if that's the right acronym or not, but this was basically putting data over the cellular voice channel. Okay. Um, and, and, and so there's been a lot of just, Hey, let's use what we've got. Let's keep moving. Um, and, and this has made it difficult because yeah, so 3G evolved out to 4G, but 4G, it was still relying on the same backhaul that was currently there. Okay, so the point being is when you look at, hey, all of a sudden we're going to do mobile breakout at a cell tower. Well, that's great. You can talk about it. Okay, but that's not how the technology is embedded. Okay, um, and so a lot of people have tried to uh, run very quickly towards a shiny object um, uh, and end up being stopped. And then what ends up happening is that it creates a false red herring of something hey, that, that just doesn't work. So for example, the reason why things can't happen at the cell towers yet is because when you enter into, I'm going to use a very sophomore uh, analogy, but when you go, William might've heard this one before. Um, if, if you go into um, your online banking app, do you log in before or after you make your transaction? Okay. If, 
if you answer that question, then you've actually inherently identified how the networks can't quite do what people want them to do yet. Okay. Not, you know, let, let's not even talk about the single phase power that it's out of, out of the cell towers. And let's also talk about the collapsed fiber rings um, that are out there as well that cannot sustain what people are looking to do. So what ha- so so that kind of took it a little bit too far. So if we bring it back to the adoption, um, people have if you're within the data okay. um, and that's good, but the problem is the people who actually drive the revenue are people like ourselves that cash our paychecks and then go pay AT&T for our cellular bill or we go pay for our on-demand movies. We are a new, a net new dollar added uh, to the system rather than dollars that are just being circulated. So what we, this adoption is when you go out farther, so the tier two markets were a natural get things out of the tier one because the proximity. But when you take it further into the tier threes, You've got to create their own ecosystems, and that's a word you're going to hear from us a lot, because you're you have to understand that these resources need to be consumed out there. This is just not a very simple backhaul. This is a bi-directional flow now. Content it's no longer just content delivery, it's a content creation network. So you've got issues that are occurring out in a tier three, tier four market from these hyper gamers. Uh, my my children watch these gamers all the time. The upload out of these areas is is incredible. Um, and that changes a lot of the dynamics of the network. And so, and then people who want to make money off of those loads um, start centering around those the, the, those systems, and that naturally creates that ecosystem. So that adoption we're starting to see now. The problem is there's not a lot of real estate out there that naturally lends itself to a highly uh, sophisticated system um, that's going to be required because the, the FAMGAs, if you will, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Googles, Microsofts, bolt routers and switches onto to plywood walls anymore inside central offices. Um, and they certainly don't want to do that going forward. Yeah. And that's where, you know, working out in tier two and tier three markets, as I have for so many years, you see that in the NFL cities, there's this talk about 5G, edge computing, and what have you. But out in these um, secondary markets, it, it's a lack of connectivity out there. That's the fact. Um, a lot of these communities are still on DSL. They're still relying on 4G, if, 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 if it's even reliable 4G. And they're still embracing technologies that are looking at things like satellite communications. But when you know, you look at the adoption of connectivity and the edge in these secondary markets. You know, I've been a huge advocate for years. I said, as long as you have two primary anchors, your utilities and your municipality, you actually have a foundation to start building out these networks in these markets. But then the problem becomes, even if you can get adoption and building out edge competing type of nodes and connectivity in these secondary markets, the question becomes in a traditional air-cooled world, a non-auto world, is the data center. Where am I going to put it? And like you said, if I try to put connectivity in a cell phone tower or try to put it at a substation shelter, my environmentals, my air conditioning, my heating are horrible. Rodents, squirrels, stuff breaking it all the time. The dust just to, you know, that goes on this equipment adds the meantime the failure rate. So even if there is a, we want to have this as a smart, safe city, better connectivity, better content, et cetera. The financials just don't pan out in the near field world because the question becomes, 
where are you going to put this data center that's going to house all this new equipment? Yeah, I, I think the the thing that I, is interesting to me, you I mean you made the point you have to you have to put it somewhere, right? Um, and, and there's this need for um, this compute out beyond you know in in non traditional areas, right? And we we you know Hugh kind of hit on a little bit like some of it's 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 the these gamers that may be out, you know, in, in areas that, that aren't in what we would call, you know, to your point, William, like NFL markets or traditional large markets where, where that type of compute is, is more readily available and, and more easily deployed, I think is, is, is really kind of where it hits. Right. I mean, it may not be available, but in a lot of those cities, the infrastructure is there to easily deploy it when it's needed. Um, in some of those rural areas, you know, and Hugh, you kind of hit on it from, you know, commercializing and, and monetizing the, this, this asset. What, you know, for those of our listeners that, that don't understand what it means to, to put this compute out uh, in these spaces where it's, it's not existing, you know, the question that, that we get asked a lot is why, why do, why, why, why does somebody need a data center, out in Iowa or out in rural East Texas or now we, we know that, I mean, we, we have those answers cause we're in those conversations, but I, I think it would be really meaningful and, and helpful for, for those that may not be as in tuned and, and plugged into that. Like why, why do I need a high performance compute data center or a content delivery network out in rural East Texas or, or uh, Iowa? Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I, well, what the thing I mentioned earlier is that things are very bi-directional now. Um, so if we're just in, in, in just trying to see how we can get videos out faster to, to a, a localized population, that that's one problem. Um, and, and that can be solved and, and, and you got bigger bandwidth pipes and that's all fine and good. The issue here is, is that not everything is being upgraded, um, um, at the same time. So people can put more fiber, um, but if you look at where they put the fiber, they just put them, the fiber down the same paths that they've always been putting. They are starting to stretch it out a little bit further. Um, but we're also, what's interesting here in, 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 in um, you might not know that in, in a rural state, let's say Iowa, for example, you've got 120 service providers in that state. Okay. A lot of which are, are mom and pop, so that's fantastic. And, and there are some that are actually, I mean, fairly large. Um, the issue here is that 120 is kind of a headache. Okay, so when you so so what uh, a large uh, carrier, let's say an AT&T or CenturyLink, they're going for something quick. They go in and they try to grab. Okay, the problem is they're not leveraging all the resources that are already there. Okay, and so understanding and and I'll give an analogy. Um, I, I, I was going to say, it's kind of funny, the, um, um, I'm an electrical mechanical engineer, but I actually studied systems and um, not many people are taking airplanes anymore, but if you, if you do fly out of Dallas and you head east, things start looking at about 10,000 feet like chipsets, okay, that are all the distribution centers, okay, which is kind of interesting. Um, and actually they function as chipsets. But the edge actually functions very, our telecom infrastructure is evolving very similarly to, to, the, to the human neurosystem, okay? And so you've got um, 
So you don't need your brain in each one of your fingers. You don't need to put your hands on a hot plate and have your brain and your finger tell you that that's hot. But you do have a form of intelligence out there, okay, um, that makes you remove your hand before you start smelling and burning. Um, out in these resources, if you aren't leveraging those 120 service providers and the eyeballs that they're connected to, as, as, as quickly as you possibly can, because they're having a hard time connecting into Chicago or connecting into connecting arteries where people can find it. Um, dropping a cache through an IX, for example, that is efficient, that's a challenge. And people aren't, they're not quite addressing that. And so it's not that people ask why, why is it not there? The question, I'm not trying to be silly here, but why not, okay? If you were to take a look at some of this data and see what you can produce, now, do you need 500 kilowatts of, of high-capacity compute out in Iowa? No. Okay. But you do need a sophisticated system, and you need one that can grow and expand that doesn't require literally acts of Congress, at least state and state legislature, to allow a massive data center to open up that isn't even, it was funny, we, uh, I spoke to one of the governors of one of the states and they so proud of this big data center that they had just landed in their state. They're like, look, this is improving our network. And they had no idea that that was a private data center. That data center doesn't connect to your local residents. That data center is crunching data for San Francisco, okay? So the point is, it, there's a lot of information that is being lost. Um, the nuances are, are, are being lost. They're being funneled through other locations. Um, and so, again, th those resources being out there are very important because they can be acted upon out there in a native environment, okay, versus being blended, okay, um, into, again, if you take the state of Iowa, its data is blended in through Chicago, which is a completely different demographic. And then that's where I think the bond uh, again to banter off a few here is the application. You know, when you think about healthcare and you think about COVID and you think about even post or pre-COVID, we have an aging population. So we have telemedicine, the ability, you know, in these smaller communities, you know, sometimes people have to spend the night at a hotel just to go to a doctor's appointment. Um, the local doctor may not have the wherewithal to provide the healthcare that people need. But now with telehealth and with compute closer into their community, you have an application to do real-time telehealth between a larger hospital system and that remote area. When you think about financial services, you know, I think about the banks and, and how banks are using translation um, as speech to text or you know, speech to text in different types of analytical type of things, education, you know, and we go down to the utilities and governments and, and, and to put the compute that's required for these applications, it, it requires to a certain degree high capacity compute and it requires things to cool the equipment, it expects power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas now in an auto world, with using two-phase liquid immersion systems, that smaller footprints that are data center in the boxes, whether it be the edge box, or all the way up to the 600. Now, all of a sudden, at that local doctor's office, you could have an edge box at the at the bank that may have less tellers there. You know, you have the ability of putting edge box. Old library where you had school books. Now, all of a sudden, with crossroads education, you have the ability to put compute right in that library as a creative comment 
the substations for utilities. And so now all of a sudden we don't have to put traditional compute in traditional data centers, which tends to be expensive for not only the access to the world, as you guys just talked about connectivity, but the applications now in this world, you have the ability to enable those various verticals to give them the HPC, but connect them to the real world, but doing it in a way that got increased bandwidth and decreased the latency. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the, this idea of, of really of innovative, not, not new businesses, but, but innovative ways that businesses are going about delivering their services, right? I mean, you talk about a healthcare professional, whether it's a, a family practice doctor or a pediatrician or something like that out in, in a rural area um, that, that may, you know, my wife, when she got first out of med school, we, we were living out in Bridgeport in, in, in West Wise County, and they were the only medical, you know, uh, facility or provider within a, a solid 30, 40 mile range. So you're right. People do, you know, come, come, they, in certain areas, they have to travel long distances to, um, to, to receive those types of services or, or, you know, you mentioned the, the, the post COVID world that we live in where educate how education is going to be delivered or how it was delivered, you know, the end of this, this last school year, all of those things, it's, it's not new. Every, we've been doing education for years. We've been doing medicine for, you know, thousands of years, but how we go about delivering it is, is an interesting facet for uh, thinking about what edge can enable. And I, and I think, you know, the, the the thing that really was the foundation of my, my question, what I was driving at is, you know, the idea of compute outside of, you know, coming from a traditional data centers space, you know, we had the hurdle of getting people to take their, their, their compute off prem, right. That was, you know, sitting in their, their data center, whether it was in the basement of their building or a closet or whatever the case may be. To go, okay, take everything there now and put it into our data center, a building that we manage. Uh, you, you, you get to come in and play with it, but we manage all the critical infrastructure, right? Like that was a massive leap to get people to do that. And, and depending on who you talk to, that, that phase of adoption isn't even complete. There are still people lagging behind in that adoption, right? They still want to keep all of their compute on-prem and they control everything, even if they don't do it as well. Now you're talking about taking that data that, now it's not only on print, it's not on prim anymore. And it's not in a controlled top tier, you know, fully redundant five, eight, nine, nines of reliability, however many, you know, people want to tout now. Uh, now we're going to put it out in the middle of either literally nowhere, or we're going to put it in the back of a doctor's office or, you know, a library. So, and to get people to go down that road, in my opinion, and in my experience, people change when they see a benefit to change, right? And and people have to perceive that benefit for themselves. We can all sit on this podcast and go, hey, Edge Compute's great. It's going to enable all of these things, right? Uh, but they've got to see the buy-in for themselves. And I think, you know, to your point earlier, Hugh, the, the COVID uh, pandemic has definitely if if there is a positive to come out of it, it has definitely caused people to think about the way we go about those everyday things that we thought we knew exactly how we did them and we we were comfortable with the way we were doing things that now we've been opened up to new possibilities that that then allow edge compute. Um, and really where I want to go next is, and you kind of hit on it a little bit, the compute's all in good, 
but the net, like I can have phenomenal compute and it can all be extremely dense and high performance and cooled efficiently. Uh, but if I don't have the connectivity, I'm it, it's, it's useless. Right. Um, and, and so one of the things that's been interesting for us is every time we have these conversations with people, we bring up 5G. Uh, you know, the question is always, well, is it, I mean, our last podcast that we recorded, you know, Brad was like, yeah, you know, I'm out on my phone and I've got 5G and the guy's like, well, do you really have 5G? Is it real 5G? Is it true 5G? You know, and we're like, it says 5G on my phone. That's good enough for me. Right. I don't know. Um, but what is the, what is the, if you could, with your, both of your expertise and backgrounds, walk us through really what, when someone talks about real 5G, and more importantly than that, just to give us a baseline understanding, what does 5G enable uh, that, that 4G, what, what can I do on 5G that I can't do on 4G? And why is this proliferation of 5G necessary? And, and beyond, let, let's, let's get beyond, you know, my kid can play games on his phone or stream his Netflix or whatever. Th- those are creature comforts. And, you know, in my personal opinion, because I'm the old man screaming at people to get off their lawn. If my kid never had another screen for the rest of his life, he'd be, he'd be better for it. But all of that being said, what does 5G really enable from, from a beneficent standpoint, holistically? When you think about one gigabit per second, we've heard a lot about gigabit connectivity over the years. One gigabit of connectivity is, I think it's like 250 Netflix movies streaming at once. Put that into perspective. When you Think about 5G, which we're talking about small cells that are radiating out to maybe an eighth of a mile, quarter of a mile that all have connectivity, meaning fiber plugged into it. So you're still in a fiber world with these small cells. The standard is saying it calls for 30 gigabits of connectivity up and 30 gigabits of connectivity down with less than a milliseconds of latency. Think about that type of connectivity. And so when you think about fiber to small cell in these small radiating areas, and unfortunately, it's only going to really pin out in major metropolitan cities, and that objective is to take the traffic off the main towers to these small cells with 30 gigabits, let alone 5 gigabits of connectivity or less. That's a tremendous growth. I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, the um, so 5G is funny. Um, there's a lot of hype on 5G. There's a lot of hype on LTE, 4G. Um, we're just hitting our stride now with 3G, um, which is going to make some people, uh, some of your listeners, kind of shudder a little bit. Um, so, very quickly, um, the networks are created first of all for connectivity. Secondly, capacity. Then thirdly, optimization. Okay. Um, And then the whole cycle starts over again at connectivity, adding new sites, uh, capacity, adding more users, uh, then optimization, fill in the dead spots. Okay. So, um, and there's a thousand and one different ways to, to, to do this definition. The issue here, though, is our spectrum is driven by the laws of physics. Okay. So you can bit pack your Hertz. Okay. Um, you can 
have codecs, you can modulators, you can, there's a lot we can do. Okay. Um, but you can't add one inch of new spectrum. Okay. Um, and that's a problem. And different types of spectrum can do certain things, low frequencies, high frequencies. Um, and so, um, th th these are a challenge. And so the one thing you got to understand is your, 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 your network, and I'll get off the engineering toadstool here in a second. You've got your spectrum and then you've got your power. Okay. And the problem is your power dissipates over one over R cubed. Okay. That's pretty significant. Okay. I mean, sales tower only goes so far. Okay. There's a lot of talks about these macro towers and how they're, so there was this, all this architecture that was going into mind when really all they're trying to do is, and R is the radius, they're trying to reduce the radius so they can actually pull that fiber closer. So instead of having a cell tower and, you know, the, let's say the alpha antenna on a lobe on a cellular antenna that can handle and cover maybe a thousand users, they're now trying to bring it down to a small, uh, small cell that can handle in its, let's say, a radius of, of 100 meters, 200 meters, couple hundred users, okay? Um, it changes the dynamic incredibly, okay? And it allows you to kind of offload um, uh, bandwidth, for example, um, that isn't necessarily high bandwidth and you can, it's more of a telemetry. So, you know, for example, I mean, we were, everybody got all hopped up on self-driving uh, self cars, autonomous vehicles, but nobody had a telemetry system, okay? Well, I assure you they're building one now, okay? And I can also assure you that the, the, the insurance companies are involved. And guess what happens? They're, they're going to be placing their data right behind those telemetry nodes, and those telemetry nodes are going to be wherever DOT wants them, okay? Um, and usually on rural highways, okay? So there's... so there is a significant impact with 5G, but it's also not going to be the panacea. A lot of people say, oh my gosh, 5G is going to change the edge. No, 5G is going to benefit from the edge, okay? Um, it, will, it will continue to grow. I mean, 4G antennas were actually technically the 5G antennas. Obviously, you get your little 5G moniker on your phone, and that's just nothing but a software upgrade uh, on, on the push out on, on your on your, um, on, on basically your phone being able to ping to the network. So that's pretty simple, but when it comes, it's going to be 5G is going to be able to look, do many things. It's going to be able to help many things. Um, as William mentioned, getting out of the tier one markets, it's, it's going to take a while and it's going to need to place this infrastructure. And everyone's saying every single one of these things are going to go out at every one of these cell towers. The problem is your control plane is changing. Okay and how and each generation of cellular technology piggybacks off the one in, in front of it. If your authentication is on the old eNode B, well, not technically your eNode B, but if it's on the old uh, eRAN, and now you're implementing a new CRAN, okay, <laughs> you still got to get people authenticated onto your system, and those control planes are going all over the place. And, and a lot of this stuff needs to be sorted out prior to us being able to take the next step. And so um, the marketing buzz is, is, is big. They're trying to get people hopped up on, on the new bandwidth, but we're still looking at five to seven years of that 5G rollout and being built. Um, and a lot of the infrastructure that TMG Core is focused on likely is going to be a part of that. 
okay, um, further on down the road. Yeah, and I think that when you think about 5G, I think about one of the first use cases is really going to be, though one may say with IoT and industrial IoT, you're talking about low bandwidth type of applications. But what if in a world you can add machine learning and AI? What if, you know, with autonomous driving vehicles and even drones? In fact, um, out here in Plano, I was driving home one day in the COVID world, and I saw these little robots that were delivering things along the road. And so when I think about vehicle to vehicle communication, it's not going to be your car to my car talking. It's going to be my car talking to a telemetry system on a street light pole back to your car, which has to go, which is going to utilize 5G type of technology. So, you know, it's not a matter of, is there a finite amount of consumption? I think about it like a, a bowl of jelly beans saying, this is the, you know, of this bowl of jelly beans, this is all the jelly beans that will take care of the entire amount of world's complete need. Rather, it's infinite. And I think about the evolution from 2G to 3G. Look at the difference when 3G came out and then 4G. You're talking about an evolution that is unfathomable, but the basis to 5G is going to have to be high capacity compute on the edge that does the things that 5G was meant to do, which is based in machine learning, AI, telemetry, stuff that's going to require real time connectivity with as little latency as possible. So edge in 5G is synonymous, right? You can't have one without the other. Because if you don't have to compute, you have real good connectivity, what good is that, right? You still got to get out to the world to get the applications need. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And you know, Hugh, you've you've mentioned localized quite a bit, you know, and and we've talked about edge and 5G and localized. And you know, Drew mentioned, you know, from us coming from a traditional data center perspective, you know, about five, six years ago, you know, we saw a big consolidation. Everybody wanted to consolidate, everybody wanted to consolidate, you know, we wanted to get rid of having, you know, 30, 40, 50 quote unquote data centers, even though some of them were your 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 rack in a closet somewhere to, hey, we're going to put them in one to two to three big data centers and have them, you know, geographically distributed. So now all of a sudden we're seeing the the reverse, you know, and, and from what you guys have talked about, you know, we're seeing the deconsolidation or, you know, the localization, as you said, do you see, you know, and we've talked about some marketing pieces of, you know, you have people like me on the phone that I look at it and I see my phone that has 5G on it. And you're just now saying that we're getting to 3G. So I have no idea what's what on that piece of it, um, you know, which makes things entertaining. But, you know, since some of that is marketing gimmicks, do you see, you know, some marketing helping and also some marketing, you know, kind of getting in the way and causing, you know, a little bit of a, of a problem of how people adopt the edge or what their, their opinion or understanding of the edge is? So for me personally, and then I'll, I'll turn it to Wiki, is that and I don't I want to give credit where credit is due. And a lot of people have heard me talk about the oak tree. And it's rare that I get to talk about the oak tree with the guy who educated me about the oak tree seven years ago, and that was you. Is that, you know, everyone, you know, the, the oak, think about an oak tree. There's a huge trunk, there's lots of branches and leaves. And the base of the oak tree, the trunk is meaning if the trunk is the data centers we see, like we're in and other, that, that was never meant to be the end game. It was rather the trunk of the tree, you'll always need the hyperscalers, the core data center. But if you think about the branches on the oak tree, that's the fiber routes getting out to the connectivity, that's the leaves of the tree. The leaves represent the edge compute. 
And so from where I sit from a strategy perspective is that the number one tool we need is education and doing it in a layman way like I just described, which you know, I'll let you take it from there. Well, yeah. So one thing uh, I, I should have mentioned it earlier, in the past when we talked about telecom and data and all the fancy words that go with it, we've always talked about a, a handful of industries, okay? You've got, the industry, you've got the data center industry, you've got the telecom industry, like the fiber side, and you've got the cellular side. The edge today is comprised, last time I counted, it, it's, it's, it's around 40 to 50 industries, okay? So let that sink in a little bit. So you're now dealing with stakeholders that went from a handful to an order of magnitude of 10. Okay, so for example, I mean, who would have thought that Porsche would own their own ASN now? They are their own autonomous network, okay? Um, that's huge, okay? It means that now it's important for them, okay, to be identified so that people can peer with them, okay? Um, uh, which obviously will aid their connected car type of uh, of applications. So you are dealing with, and IoT is is phenomenal uh, because now you've got things that you know. I, I, I once bored the heck out of someone on a on a whiteboard where I literally connected the dots between um, the uh, inflation sensor on your car all the way to a dark points data center. Okay, so the idea here is. It's, it's, you've got so much happening um, and you've got everybody with their own little, the very first question of, you know, what's your definition of edge? I mean, if you've got 40 to 50 industries, you've got 40, 50 different mindsets. Okay. Um, and I was in a conversation that had to do, I'll keep the companies unnamed because it was, it, it was a quasi violation of the constitution, but um, it was after uh, Hurricane Harvey had hit Houston. Okay. Um, and you had uh, a lot of the autonomous driving vehicles. You had a lot of the insurance companies. You had DOT, Department of Homeland Security. It was just after the, um, uh, the, t- the terrorist that drove the, the truck down the bike lane up in New York. And, um, and it was just after the Uber uh, accident that had killed that, uh, that biker. Um, and so you had completely, you had people that are like, no, I got this under control. And you had the government say, no, you don't have it under control, okay? But nobody could really do anything, okay? Um, and so the, the issue with, with Houston, for example, is um, uh, they were not able to get, the, 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 they could not evacuate the Houstonians in enough time. So the mayor came back and said, actually, we're going to be fine. Everyone just stay put because they didn't want 2.2 million people out on the roads when they hurt. Um, but they could have gotten everybody out, but they couldn't commandeer anybody because their systems are not in place. But the issue here was the reason why the insurance companies were there is that they held the entire risk pool of every hillbilly that drove his truck into waist high water. And then all of a sudden had his truck wash out and there was several hundred thousand uh, trucks that were gone. So you had, so the reason why I bring this up is you've got, so how Uber might or, or Toyota or Google view the autonomous driving vehicle is it on a completely different spectrum than how nations might view it, okay? And how they're going to protect their assets and how do they de-risk the, uh, the, their, their portfolio. Um, and what's interesting, each side is actually solving the same issue, but a little bit inch at a time. 
but it's also not involving a lot of other folks. So for example, if you want that type of capability, well, how do you get AT&T and Verizon into the mix? Okay, well, they're trying to do this over on FirstNet and they're going to have this, you know, the, the first responder network. No one's actually sitting down and actually going, okay, this is the piece that I'm going to work on and this is my upstream and this is my downstream. So we have kind of a Tower of Babel happening right now, which is a little bit, a little bit tricky. And um, you had brought up, Drew, at the beginning that uh, we were trying to move people out of their data centers into traditional data centers. Well, eight years ago, we were having the same conversation, dark points with some of our customers. And what we identified is that customers have their data in three locations. And then there's a point to this, which is they keep it in their own data center. They put it somewhere in someone's cloud. Um, and or uh, they put it in someone else's data center. And everybody's so fixated on the where, okay, that they lost track of how much they never, their data is actually in all three of those locations. Sometimes it spans in one location, but then it migrates to another and then it comes back, okay? And we're seeing the same thing in the edge uh, space here where um, you've got a lot of different applications all coming in very, very quickly. Um, and they are having, they, they, they are, are impacting the network in a lot of different and unexpected ways. Um, and I'll use one, uh, one last point, which is everybody talks about mesh networks. Okay. And everything's all interconnected. There is no such thing as a mesh. Okay. We only have hub and spoke fiber. Okay. A mesh is a logical construct. Okay. That sits on top of hub and spoke fiber. So think about this. You've got, you've got application developers thinking that they can connect to A and B just because they, the, the, two, the, the two units are right next to each other, okay? When actually their fiber connection is 700 miles away, okay? So these are some issues. So think about that. The software is not even efficient. I mean, that's why they've got you know, OSPF, the most basic routing pro protocol out there is open shortest path first, but if that shortest path is always 700 miles, you've got a problem. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just me leveraging some of our previous conversations, and you've mentioned autonomous driving, you know, that, that seems to be, you know, at least 5, 10, possibly 20 years away, just purely on the network and compute basis. Is that, you know, am I thinking about that right or no? We've got, well, first of all, there's arguments that kind of pre-COVID um, that um, they would try autonomous and okay, plenty of laughs here, but I think we know this, this is happening. Uh, autonomous flying prior to autonomous driving. Okay. Um, because the, the issue with autonomous vehicles is we have more human drivers than we do have compute drivers um, and humans are the most unreasonable, irrational, unpredictable things out there. Okay. Um, and if you got car sensors that are all 25 meters out, I mean, cars can work it out. It's just the human drivers that make a problem. Um, but the issue here is there's a lot of, um, I, I was called the grim reaper of autonomous driving vehicles once on a, um, on a panel when I mentioned, Hey guys, this is all fun and games until the first family of four dies in an autonomous driving vehicle accident. Okay. And then wait, wait to see what happens there. Okay. Um, and so, and people are like, well, that's not going to happen. We've got all the safeguards, but if you're at 70 miles an hour and your sensors can only see 25 meters out, you have no response time. Okay. So these computers 
and actually it's an interesting point that you bring up there, Brad. We take a look at, at and I'm just going to use Google as just a, an example here. Take a look at kind of how Google might view an autonomous vehicle. Okay. Take a look at how they view the, 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 the sitting and the seating arrangements within a car. And you will recognize very quickly that there's no way we're going to give up the advancements that, that we've had in miles per gallon. Okay. The weights of, of cars, um, you know, where's the compute physically going inside these cars. Okay. Um, and you've got people that are like, Oh, it's all going to be on the car. Well, then that car is going to be an extremely heavy car, which is going to affect your gas mileage. And by the way, if it affects your gas mileage, making an electrical doesn't help you at it. Okay. So there's a lot of things moving. Um, but then the, you've got constitutional issues. Like how, how does DOT commandeer your vehicle in an emergency? Okay. Well, they don't, no one knows how to do that, but the insurance companies do because they're doing it right now. Okay. If you are, if you are a convicted drunk driver, okay. And you got to breathe in, you are in complete violation of your insurance policy. If you tamper and remove your breathalyzer. Okay. And so the point is, so in this, so the reason why I bring that up is if you've got risk pools, with, uh, with car accidents or, or, or natural disasters with the insurance guys, and then you've got compute and, and, and you know, Silicon Valley designing these cars, and then you've got Detroit coming up with their own ideas. You've got, there's a lot of competing parts to this, which will ultimately slow this down. Um, but it is moving a lot faster than we think. Um, but um, I mean, gosh, I just read about another car that's coming out that is, 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 is going to be dr- uh, driverless or at least driver assisted. Um, but we're not 20 years out, but we are about 10 years in terms of this being fully, fully available. Yeah, I would agree. 10 years at least for autonomous driving vehicles. But what is here right now are um, Microsoft Azure Edge, kind of like the Amazon Depots, um, to, to get around the issues of this connectivity, as you have said, the lack of it going out seven miles, 700 miles on these bounces. If I can bring the connectivity, meaning the content closer to the edge, whether it be an office building or a school or gaming, similar to what Microsoft is doing and others like Amazon, now all of a sudden the edge becomes that content that I need to be as efficient as possible, but then leveraging the Azure edges of the world to then connect into the, the sensors, the, the, the various intelligent transportation systems like Arlington, I hate going to cowboy games. It's like, cannot this mayor and Jerry Jones synchronize the street lights to get to the stadium? Things along those lines and surveillance, you know, that, that's a whole nother bag of you know, to go into in the sense of um, a surveillance state. But I, I'm going to predict here in the next two or three years, post COVID and everything that we're seeing in the world today. Surveillance is going to be more and more important, um, especially for the law and order of our society. I don't think we'll go to a state like in China, but that's a lot of connectivity and things that have to do with at the edge of identification and et cetera. So, um, so self-driving cars is a way out. The applications we use right now on-prem will be the same applications that will be able to easily high into a transportation system, especially if dark points has their way in the world. Yeah. Actually, you brought up a really interesting application there. So we, um, we were assisting, um, we were working some, with some police departments on um, um, the body camera data. 
And there was some very interesting information that comes out that shows kind of some of the issues with this. If you start, start talking about surveillance coming out, and we are starting to see these applications, um, obviously cameras develop a, a, a ton uh, of data. But to be able to go through it, to identify, to search it, it's like 4% of the data, okay? Um, so the point is, why would you transfer that data, okay, back and forth, okay? You leave it, you let it be searched, okay? But then you keep it stored there, okay? And then at a more convenient time, you allow it to kind of matriculate and make, get, get, get its way back into the core if it needs to. Um, and it's, we were going to do this with, uh, with, with police departments where these police officers were not able to leave their shift until they had completely downloaded their body camera. Okay. On, I'm, I'm joking on like a 2,400 baud system. I mean, it was something ridiculous. Okay. So these guys were sitting there for two, three hours downloading their body camera. They couldn't leave. Okay. And get, get off shift. Okay. And so, but if it had been quickly downloaded there and then only if there, because I mean, you can identify if the, if there's an incident they need to review, those can be done elsewhere. Okay. Um, and um, if it needs to, um, but in terms of, you can very quickly uh, analyze it and pull back the, the corresponding data, but we're seeing a lot of that now. Um, and, you know, we're not saying that all data needs to be fully and 100% dispersed, but we are saying, you know, we're talking, you know, we have a huge confusion about, hey, man, all these, all, all these edge data centers, but we've got these little devices in our pockets, okay, that we carry around all the time, that we are constantly being littered with applications, and those applications do not exist unless your phone exists in your pocket, okay? So, what you're seeing here is at a, at a, at a point very close in the future, you People are going to shift from the hardware and go straight to the application, but they're going to push that application out to the hardware that has to be there, okay? Otherwise, it involves, I use the example that Darpoints is more like a digital logistics company because people are like, hey, I, I, I want to get out there, but how do I get my servers out there, okay? It's a huge issue, okay? But if the servers are there, some will be pre-ordered, some, some will be dedicated, but then there's going to be a lot there for people to be able to leverage very quickly. I mean, USA, an insurance company, I mean, do they really need to be in the, in the, in the server business? Okay. In terms of having their servers where they know they're going to want to go out, going to be able to set up their, their platforms and be able to pull that out if they need to. But that server, server is still going to be out there. So they're, the two cannot be, you can't have localized data that you can monetize if you don't have something local. Um, and it's so uh, we, we we've seen some pretty funny instances uh, that have confounded people um, that because they've just never seen it before because they never understood that that even existed. Um, and I can share you some the Iowa caucuses information that came through that we were kind of laughing um, that the operatives that were coming in from the coasts did not understand that you had people that believed in the Second Amendment but who were also considered very liberal, okay? And the reason why is Iowa is a huge hunting state. I mean, it's, I mean it's, they, it's a completely different view, okay? And so these were things that, that they were like, well, how do I market to that person? How do I market to that person with the progressive message when <laughs> gun rights is not part of that progressive message, okay? Yet to those people, they can coexist.
And so they were unable to, to, to get marketing ads for, 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 for those uh, messages. It was just because people say, I, I can't push that out because I, I don't support the Second Amendment, but I support the other rights. So now all of a sudden you had in the caucuses, you just didn't have, you didn't have the ability to go talk to a diverse population. I mean, diverse in political thought, even though in general, they came out of the Democratic camp. Does that I make sense? Think, yeah, because you, we talked about this. I grew up with a father that worked for Pan American Airlines. And so I grew up in LA and family in New York. And I was cross country a lot over the course of the year. But the music in LA was always different than the music in New York. And I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. Whereas what you're saying is exactly right, is that the content message is different market. It's a market now. It's not one message across the U.S. or the world, which means you have to have a localized content and a delivery mechanism to get to that end user because Facebook may be advertising one way in Seattle, Washington, but a completely different way in, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, that's interesting. And I hadn't, I mean, we've thought about it because we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but I mean, that idea of, of data specificity for, for, for groups, and you know, we, I'll, I think we've all been victim of it or beneficiary of it, however you want to look at it, from the standpoint of, you know, I'll, I will listen to whether it's Spotify or you know, podcast or whatever, and this is all pre-COVID, right? And I might be, you know, I'm out in Argyle on the west side of the the Metroplex, and you know, our our office is in Plano on the northeast side of the Metroplex. So I'm getting ads on, you know, well, not Spotify, I guess, you know, well, I do no Pandora or something, you know, like I'm getting ads for stuff around me on the West side, you know, they're advertising like Texas Motor Speedway events and, you know, whatever. And then I get out in Plano and it's like fireside subs or firehouse subs on, you know, legacy drive. And I'm like, wait, what, how, but to your point, that's exactly how they're pulling it off because that data now that from my understanding that's pretty simple because that's all GPS driven. It just, you know, there's a pool. Those, those advertisers have pools of ads. Yeah, take off your tinfoil hat for a second. It, it stay, it stays on. It's I've just got it concealed now. That's not the only thing I conceal. Um, but uh, you know, th- that's a fairly easy one, right? But what you're saying is that even they, that's a way to monetize that that edge compute because you can you can garner more data. Um, and with that more data, you can be more detailed and more specific in, in how you go about, about marketing. Uh, and since Brad brought up my foil hat, I think that the thing that, you know, people are concerned about, you know, because to us, well, the three of you and me kind of, you know, that is a really interesting and Hey, that's awesome. I can, you know, like, I get a very tailored experience and everything I do, you know, we, we talked about it a while back about, you know, this idea of uh, having a, 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 an electronic or a digital profile of, you know, when I go into to Nick and Sam's or Bob's or whatever, they already know because either I made my reservation or they just get that data from me as a person. Cause I have a digital profile out there. He likes the Tomahawk medium he likes you know johnny blue and he likes the mashed potatoes with the extra cheese i don't even you know like in that my waiter just, or my server just walks up and is like oh mr no would you like the johnny blue would you like the tomahawk medium and the mashed potatoes i'm like holy crap this is awesome yeah absolutely i would that's fantastic thank you you know 
uh, or uh, hotels or the, the same types of experience. And, and for a lot of people, they like that idea of getting that, that tailored experience. I think the, you know, if, if we're to be fair and, 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 an, and analyze both sides of the coin, uh, you know, there is definitely a concern there with somebody, you know, it's great if my, my, my favorite restaurants or my favorite hotels or my gym or whatever has that information about me because they're, they're using it for my benefit. I mean, if we're being honest, they're using it for their benefit because the happier I am with my experience, the more money I spend with them, but they're using it for my benefit. There would be people out there who would take that same information and nefariously use it to my or a collective group's detriment, right? And so all of this, we're talking about edge compute being, you know, the, the, the reality of making compute and data more disparately available, um, while that's all in good, right? The, the, one of the big selling points that we always used in consolidation of data centers was it's more secure, right? Because I've got one building that I can manage the security in and out of whether it's physical or logical. And now you're talking about putting all of that data and you're talking about connecting my data here literally out in West DFW via, you know, the hub and spoke to some guy's data up in Chicago, right? And now it's more readily available to everybody, not just me, not those to benefit me, but, but the bad actors as well. So security is obviously a massive concern when we talk about edge computing and, and, and data and connectivity and those kinds of things. How has, in your mind, or how is that developing? Because in my mind, those two things have to develop in parallel. Uh, how have they, or is one lagging behind the other? So before Hugh jumps in there, you know, I think about personal identifiable information um, to the your example. That's a good, 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 good point. Another way to also look at unique content on the edge is networks, for example, or TikTok or any of these new social media rich, you know, people in Minnesota tend to watch a lot different type of Netflix than they do in Los Angeles to New York. So when it is storing that unique content, um, you know, you don't want to have the full library available in certain markets where, you know, people aren't necessarily consuming that rich media. So beyond the PID um, information, it's a way of looking at content on the edge. But you're exactly right. Security is important. And um, that's where I'd love to hear from Hugh's perspective, especially with our auto technology. It's literally a data center in a box. So it's as secure as it would be in a data center. How do you address those issues here? Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's topical data. Um, obviously the personal data that is kind of free flowing and, 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 um, um, how much you put out there and, and, and your lack of ownership of that data. Once you, you put it out there is, is obviously that's, that's an age old question. That's not really the security aspect. Um, uh, from a network perspective, though, um, uh, one of the reasons why department of Homeland security was in this meeting that I had several years ago. Um, was um, one of the reasons why they want things distributed is actually the ability and sp talking specifically on the telemetry systems. Um, and so using as kind of a network side is that if things are centralized, then they're, so yes, you can, you can create a pretty ironclad defense. Okay. 
problem is once they get past the defense, they've got the whole system. Okay. Um, and so when you take a look at that, there's the natural distribution. Uh, but one of the things is that if they started putting these telemetry systems, they, they want them in an area that if they needed to turn off cars, they're just not turning down, you know, west of Dallas for the entire United States, right? I mean, they, they need a lot more uh, distributed nature of that. Um, data itself, um, uh, the more localized it is. So back in the day when I was turning up routers, if you didn't, if you didn't publish that IP address for that router, no one knew, no, no one knew it was there. Okay. Um, this data in a lot of ways, if people don't know that it's physically there, um, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's a big deal. Um, now obviously as you get down into the actual multiple layers of, uh, of software, I mean, that, that gets well above my pay grade in terms of how they actually protect that. But I do know that, um, when you talk the, um, the smaller some of these, uh, sites are, um, the limited amount of data that is there, regardless of how much compute might be there. Okay. Um, which kind of reduces the target. Um, um, and also in a lot of ways, um, it makes it a lot, it's, it's a lot easier to secure a smaller site than it is to secure a much larger site, um, physically. Um, and so those are some things that we focus on. Dark points we handle on, we handle kind of with our, our SSA 18, our, our, our compliance or SOC 2 compliance. We focus on the physical access. Um, as we step into some of the, the server technology, we'll start stepping up into that, that, uh, uh, the actual data, uh, compliance and security aspect of it. Um, and that is going to be a challenge. Um, again, the data that's being pulled out, um, look, the powers that be can identify as very, very quickly. Uh, uh, they can almost immediately. Um, um, uh, so that's kind of a, that's a, a Chinese wall, if you will, in terms of protection, uh, because they can identify the likelihood that we are all within a, a, a short radius of each other just by our MAC addresses of our phones. Okay. So, so they can identify that information pretty quickly. Uh, so security versus anonymity um, and, and protection versus ownership. Um, th those are all a very, very complex questions. Well, I think about through the work that we're doing here with virtualized substations and with the edge box and the U S government by executive order has managed that every substation in America be virtualized because of bad actors, foreign states trying to hack our electrical grid. We often take for granted where the power comes from or everything, let alone the light bulb. And so now by the ability to put edge compute at substations that's autonomous, but in a decentralized edge cluster, even if I attack that one sub, I now have the intelligence to redirect that traffic that's keeping the other sets up and running, even though that one may be compromised. But when you think about that from a security perspective, there's a great level of security that can be achieved through a decentralized network, as long as each of those nodes adheres to best in practice security practices and is hardened both from the physical and the data perspective. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, there's there's a lot to think about. We we've covered a lot, and I know that you know we we typically you know start with some conversation topics on the show, and you know we we kind of dove from there. So since we've covered a lot, Hugh and William, you know, I just kind of want to throw out there: is there anything else you want to talk about? 
anything that, you know, has sparked some, some creative conversational juices of, you know, just kind of where we are. And, you know, we, we've uncovered a few rabbit holes that, that we could go down and, you know, could possibly spend three hours going down them. But, you know, since we only have a few minutes left, I just want to check to see if there's, there's a brief rabbit hole you want to go through or anything you want to talk about. Well, it, there's a misnomer that one stack will solve it all. And, um, and again, that's why we're, um, we work very well together. We focus a lot on the real estate and making sure that works and understanding exactly how that works. You guys work on the high density compute. Um, there are folks that are trying to do it all within the same wheelhouse. Um, and it, it's going to be very, it's going to be a huge challenge. Um, because everybody needs to have kind of a signature on this um, uh, in, in order to kind of grow and, and make people feel comfortable w within that ecosystem. Um, we found that as soon as we started to empower some of these local providers, their attitude changed dramatically um, because they were being told um, that they were not a part of the equation. And now they are a part of the equation, a very valuable part of the equation because they happen to have, let's say, 25,000 eyeballs that sit at the very tail end of their network. Um, and then um, that goes into a, a larger grouping uh, of eyeballs uh, that are brought in by other service providers. And ultimately, you make a pretty compelling business case to the co-developers. So those are things. It's th There's a macro ecosystem here that everybody needs to participate in. Yeah, I'm excited about the fact that we're moving into an AI machine learning world that we see it in our homes. Think about how many IP addresses you have on your wireless route and how many devices you have, et cetera. In that when you start looking at the ability to put high capacity compute not only on the edge but into consumers' hands, you start moving into this brave new world whereby everything and everyone is connected. And in 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 knocking down the monopoly again, I, you know, I, we'd love to work with the AT&T and Verizons of the world, but what happens in a world where you have ubiquitous fiber net? and ubiquitous wireless networks. So whether you open access for fiber or open radio access networks for wireless. And what if now all of a sudden, instead of relying on the storage for your, your videos, your pictures, your media-rich content, what if that was in a server in your house? And what if instead of your data being monetized by third parties without your permission, what if now you can monetize that data with the content providers that mean something because you're brand loyal. We're moving into that world where people are going to be empowered in a decentralized, non-competitive, ubiquitous way. And the first step is what we're doing right now. And I think that's what it's going to be really hard to fathom what 5G and AI and machine learning will do for every single human being on the planet and every single device. And I'm just excited to know that we're building the technology that's going to enable it. And we got a partner like Dark Points that's going to deploy it and monetize it, right, you? That's right. <laughs> so, since I'm the one who just mentioned creative juices and conversational juices, I do have one, you know, because we did talk about different collaborations and different service providers, and then also the big point of, of monetizing some of this stuff. And we've also covered you know, a few of the, the struggles or challenges that have to be overcome from a true just edge in the network and getting everything out there. Um, you know, from that perspective, combining all of those, do you see or feel 
that there are going to be some companies and corporations that are typically known for doing, you know, a particular real retail thing or, you know, for example, gas stations. You know, do you see some of those organizations and those companies actually, you know, still continuing to have their their main line of businesses, you know, being gas stations and retail stores, but trying to develop ways to take advantage of our the brick and mortar that they do have to become, you know, CDN providers or, you know, create spaces for them to leverage their facilities for other partners to bring in, you know, and lease out space, if you will, within the back corner of a gas station or retail station to try and help that compute and that edge network. Do you see that happening or do you see it more as it's going to be up to, you know, the people who are already familiar with it to go into those spots. No, I think you're going to see a bright new world with that as well. I think about the, I think about Walmart and Walmart, largest retailer in the world. And there's no reason why Walmart couldn't be the number one online retailer in the world. And I've always said the fastest way to solve America's broadband problems is get Walmart to get into the telecommunication wireless space and also enable their distribution and retail hubs to not only automate the things they need for their own inventory management system in e-commerce, but to enable the smart, safe city. I also think about, you know, two things like Prologis. You know, Prologis has 4,700 transportation locations around the world. All of those warehouses can easily be enabled to become high, um, high capacity compute modular data centers with auto type of technology, which it's going to give a run for the money to the crown castles and American powers of the world. And I even think, I even think about um, Warner Transportation, great people, third largest transportation company in North America. All of a sudden now, when you think about blockchain and logistics and things along those lines, now all of a sudden you have interconnected trucking systems that are coming back to gas stations and place the quick trips and what have you that become central depository as well as telecommunication hubs. Hugh, what else do you think? No, absolutely. There's, it's, yeah, I absolutely agree that a lot of that's going to start happening. There are, um, there will brave new world. Yes. Um, and um, with that, having to talk the same language to them as well, because this is not a very simple real estate play. Um, and, um, those are things that, um, uh, uh, there'll be a lot of folks that are going to be super, super excited about their real estate. Um, and it's not going to play into it at all. And then there are going to be others that have no idea the value of their real estate. Okay. So you can never convince them to do this. Okay. Um, and we've, we've definitely barked up many of those types of trees. And so, um, but I will tell you this, that real estate, um, uh, and I'll leave it at this. Um, so the, the, the founder of the movie uh, about Ray Kroc, um, about McDonald's, they left out a huge component of his success, okay, that I think is very apropos to what we're talking about here. McDonald's not only had success through his processes, but also had success because of the Eisenhower Highway Build Program, okay, where all of a sudden you had highways going in places where highways were never located, off ramps and on ramps to highways that needed gas and food. And then suddenly over the course of several decades, McDonald's ended up being one of the largest landowners in the world. 
Okay. Um, and so um, those are opportunities that we're starting to see now. And if you take a look at where Tesla charging stations are showing up, okay, for example, um, it is, uh, it's interesting. I mean, so you're going to find things like that, that all of a sudden are going to foster, again, that ecosystem word I'm talking about, where you're going to find people recognizing that if there's these Tesla charging stations every 60 miles on the freeway, well, there's going to be little communities that are start centering around those, okay, that re related to things as typical food and beverages and, and such, but then there's going to be other things. Um, so there's definitely, a, a, let's just put it this way, there was a reason why Amazon bought Whole Foods and it wasn't because of the fresh produce, okay? So we're, we're going to see a lot more of this happening, and that's our business. We're trying to convert that land into something quite valuable, and obviously what TMG Core has got is it's almost kind of like, I'll go find the mine, you got the diamond and we're going to put the diamond into the mine. Okay. And that's, that's, that's the goal here. Uh, that's awesome. And so Hugh, if our listeners are interested in connecting with you uh, and any of the work that you're doing at dart points, uh, what's the best way that they can find you? Um, I am on LinkedIn. Um, and I've got my email address. Um, obviously, um, uh, I, I believe our website has got my address as well. Um, and, um, um, yeah, it's, it's that, those would be the easiest, um, unless you guys push out email addresses, at, at which point you've got my blessing to send out my hcarspec and at darkpoints.com. Awesome. Well, Hugh, William, I, I, I appreciate it. And I know that I speak for all of us here, you know, Drew included, TMG4, William, you know that, that we love you. So I don't need to thank you for this <laughs> one. But Hugh, you know, all of us at TMG4, we, we truly appreciate everything, you know, our partnership and you taking the time to come on today and have this conversation. And look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, guys. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for us here on The Edge, uh, TMG Corp Production. Don't forget to subscribe anywhere you pick up your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review there. Uh, you can also find us at www.theedgetmgcore.com. So thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Remember, The Edge will go as far as you take. <laughs> thanks, guys. Take care.